So diving into our middle grade novels, Forsooth by Jimmy Matajek Morris is about 13-year-old Calvin, a theater kid who dreams of stardom but keeps getting in his own way. He believes that he ruined the school play by getting stuck on a single line, forsooth. There was supposed to be more after that, but he couldn't remember it, so he just ended up repeating forsooth over and over again until he fell off the stage. So this was really humiliating for him, and during the following summer, before 8th grade, he sets out to redeem himself. He's trying to repair friendships that he feels have not been the same since the play. Uh, he's trying to prove to everyone, including himself, that he's got what it takes to be a star. But complications, of course, ensue, including not only his first ever crush, but his second ever crush, both of which happen to be on guys in his friend group. And he is a kid who worries a lot. He worries about messing up his friendship dynamics. He worries that his parents won't react well if they find out he's gay. And he worries in general that he'll never really be good enough. And it doesn't help that he truly is prone to mishaps. Uh, at one point, he accidentally sets his pastor's robe on fire during mass. Um, as I said, he's an anxious kid, and that anxiety kind of compounds with just your baseline middle school awkwardness in escalating ways that I find both really relatable and really genuinely funny. Even in the midst of his biggest misfires, Calvin is witty and warm-hearted and just self-aware enough that you end up laughing rather than cringing over the scrapes that he gets into. But over the course of the story, he realizes that, one, he's not the only person going through tough stuff, and he could maybe work on becoming less self-centered as a friend, but also, two, he can embrace who he is, messiness and all, uh, mistakes and all, even if his parents don't, and even if some of his friends don't. This is a really sweet, really funny, and just really heartening story about a kid who is not just coming out, but really coming into his own. Next, we've got A Pocket Full of Stars by Alicia Bushby. This is about 13-year-old Sophia, who has a complicated relationship with her mom. Sophia is a shy kid who likes to play video games, while her mom has a much more outgoing, vibrant personality and a sometimes volatile temper. So they often clash, and Sophia often feels misunderstood by her mom. But then her mom has a stroke and goes into a coma, and Sophia starts having dreams that transport her to scenes from her mother's childhood in Kuwait. She's basically witnessing her mom's memories unfold. And as a side note, one thing I love about this novel is that it is set partially in the Middle East and it doesn't depict the kind of stereotypical war-torn traumatic childhood that might be what a lot of readers automatically think of when they think of the Middle East. Um, this is a story about a middle-class girl dealing with complicated family dynamics against uh, this particular cultural backdrop. So Sophia, in witnessing these memories through her dreams, realizes that she can unlock clues inside the dreams, kind of the way you would unlock levels in a video game, and these uncover new insights about her mom's life. So she's convinced that if she can gamify the dreams correctly, she might somehow be able to save her mom. What actually ends up happening is that Sophia is able to come to terms with their relationship and connect with other members of her family who are links to her mom. And maybe most important, uh, she starts to come out of her shell in her own life 
and discovers the ways that, for as different as they have always seemed, there will always be a part of her mom in her, no matter what. Last Summer in Outer Space by Joshua Levy is the third and final installment in the Adventures of the PSS 118, which is our middle school in space sci-fi trilogy. Jack and his friends and his teachers and his sentient public school spaceship are going to finally complete their mission to rescue the rest of humanity from a sinister alien plot. And we're releasing a paperback edition of the previous book in the series, Eighth Grade Versus the Machines, at the same time. Also in paperback, we have the middle grade novel Flyback Agnes by Elizabeth Atkinson about a middle school girl who's sort of reinventing herself over the course of a summer where she decides to make up a bunch of stories about her life until she's forced to come to terms with the lies she's been telling and the complex truths that they conceal. And one more paperback, How to Live on the Edge, a YA novel by Sarah Sherger about a girl who lost her mom to breast cancer at a very young age and now has to decide whether she'll get tested for the gene that would predispose her to the same kind of cancer. Moving on to our new YA offerings, we've got All the Things We Never Said by Yasmin Rahman, a heads up that this story deals extensively with suicidal ideation. One of our main characters, Marie, has been struggling with depression, anxiety, and really brutal intrusive thoughts for long enough that she has started thinking about suicide. But she's Muslim and considers suicide to be a sin, so to remove herself from having what she feels like is full responsibility for the decision, she joins a sketchy website called MementoMori.com that matches up people as suicide buddies, basically, and gives them instructions on how and when to take their lives together. So specified dates, specified stuff to do beforehand, like writing a note, all very disturbing, obviously, but it appeals to Marine's desire to have some orderliness and to have someone else calling the shots. Marine gets matched with two other teen girls who also want to attempt suicide, there's Kara, who was in a car accident that killed her dad and paralyzed her, so she's dealing with a lot of complicated grief. And there's Olivia, who's being abused by her stepfather and thinks no one will believe her if she speaks out. So obviously, each of these girls is carrying huge burdens that they haven't felt able to share with anybody else. But as they meet up to do these preliminary steps in the website's process, they get to know each other and start to bond and start to confide in each other. And once they no longer feel completely alone, once they feel uh, understood and accepted by others, uh, turns out that staying alive no longer uh, seems uh, unappealing. Uh, obviously, all these girls need actual therapy and other interventions, but having a support network is a good start. Uh, so they decide they're going to back out of the suicide pact, except that whoever is running the website does not want to let them back out. Uh, the website continues to harass them, to threaten them, to try to blow up their lives in various ways so that they will feel pressured to go through with the suicide. And the girls have to step up for each other even more to prevent the website from pushing any of them over the edge. In the end, nobody dies. Uh, everybody gets further support and protection, and the characters reach a much healthier, more hopeful place together. This is a, honestly, a really harrowing read, but 
Also, it's really worthwhile and rewarding, and ultimately, I think, very touching. Gallows Hill by Lois Ruby manages to be a bit less intense than that, uh, even though it is dealing with a very dark period in history. So when I say Massachusetts, 1692, Salem witch trials, you might go, oh yeah, that's been done. But it hasn't been done quite like this before. This story is told from two alternating points of view. We have Patience, a Puritan girl who's grown up in Salem, Massachusetts, and we have Thomas, a Quaker boy who has just arrived from England. I hadn't even known that there were Quakers living in Salem at this time, but it turns out there were. They were a marginalized religious minority, they were distrusted by their Puritan neighbors, but they were there. And what all European Christians basically agreed on at this time is that witchcraft was real, the devil was real, and human witches were serving the devil by wreaking havoc on good Christian people. This was a given, it was not controversial. So when some Salem girls start claiming that they're being tormented by witches, people's initial reaction is not like, are you sure that seems weird? It's, oh, who are the witches? We have to find them and we have to punish them. So this starts out with only a handful of accusations, then a few more, then a lot more, then people in neighboring towns. It escalates very quickly. And Patience and Thomas are seeing the situation unfold from very different angles. Patience as someone deeply ingrained and integrated in the Puritan community, uh, whose own sister is afflicted and accusing certain neighbors of bewitching her. And then Thomas as an outsider, someone who arouses suspicion himself just by virtue of not being Puritan, and whose guardian is accused of witchcraft. One thing Patience and Thomas have in common, though, is that they want to protect their loved ones, even if that means questioning their own beliefs and stepping outside their assigned roles in the community, and they team up with each other to do that. This story does a great job of taking us inside the heads of the main characters, showing us their worldview. Uh, they are not ahead of their time, yet they're still able to seek the truth and stand up to injustice. And in doing so, they discover that their differences aren't as scary as they thought and maybe don't separate them as much as they believed. And that is our Fall 2023 novel list. Thank you for listening to The Learner Podcast. Tune in again next time for more author interviews and the stories behind the books.